This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. I think I'm just terrified of what it means to have a reptile as a pet. And it's not even, like you said, Kels, we know and we know it's rare when people get bit or die because of things that have happened with their reptile pets. But also I'm thinking, you know, you don't really know your reptile like you know your cat or your dog or your bird or your hamster or your bunny. That's what I think my problem is. Snake is a snake. A lizard is a lizard. Sorry. Sorry, I had myself muted. Uh, I'm sitting there saying, yeah, you know, it's kind of that thing where <laughs> you're just you think go about... on and on and on. Well, as soon as you kept going, but sort of like I thought, you're supposed to say something. <laughs> yeah, but I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I, I think it's that for, for those of us who can't relate to that, it's it's a 100% I can't relate to that. To people who right. feel it's the same thing as having a bunny rabbit with, with extra precautions of safety and stuff, which you would take anyway. Um, I got no one wants to really be bit by their their bunny rabbit either, right? But the the thought of yeah, but the bunny rabbit it might take a, you know an, a, 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 its ounce of flesh, whereas this might take an ounce of flesh and I might die. I might, exactly, <laughs> like also I might die. Um, and, yeah. You know, and even when you hear about people who can tame wild cats, not even just as pets, but even trainers and uh, tamers that zoos and other uh, preservation areas and such, right? I'm like, yeah, I can kind of understand it. They're just bigger versions of our little domesticated cats. Not really, but you know what I mean? But with reptiles, yeah. I'm on a whole different <laughs> boat here. Just like leave Yeah, not to alone. mention, you just don't want to feel it crawl onto your leg and then bite. Say, you know, yeah. you're like, it's got that's already creepy this, enough. This perspective, yep. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on to audio entertainment and tech. But, you know, I, I got my therapy session in. Um, let's bring on Michael Fair. Audio entertainment and accessible technology are increasingly important in our lives. I'm Mike Fair, here to help you make the most out of your devices. We'll share tech tips and product reviews. Plus, I'll steer you towards the best accessible games, audio dramas, and podcasts. We'll talk about it all here on Kelly and Ramya. Well, audio dramas is where it's at today. Dark Adventure Radio Theater has decided to add a dash of desert madness to our winter. That's nice. So this week, Mike, you're going to tell us about their latest release. It's called The Temple of Jupiter Amun. And um, I'm very curious about it. So what makes this release one of their most original works, as you call it? Do we have you, Mike? I thought we had a yep. moment ago. Maybe not. There he is. Oh, there you are, Mike. There he is. Okay. Hello. Good. So tell <laughs> us about um, why this is one of their most original works. Yeah. So basically, uh, this is they took an actual archaeological expedition that was in the 1920s, led by this real person, uh, Count de Proroc, and they they basically built uh, Lovecraftian elements around this. So uh, they, they, he's actually the, this the pro rock fellow wrote a book that that he he covered. There was a short chapter that didn't go into a ton of detail on this expedition, and that intrigued them. Uh, I guess Lovecraft mentioned it in one of his letters, and uh, that's kind of the neat thing that the historical society is not just all about the stories. They go deep into everything, all his correspondence, everything that that is available from H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, and they, they mine that material. 
Wow. Wow. What a presentation. So what was the objective of the exposition? So basically, the thought was that Alexander the Great, one of the best you know, generals in, uh, in Western uh, mythology and mm-hmm. societies, uh, you know, he's a real person too. And he died when he was very young and under very mysterious circumstances. And the thought was he was possibly buried under this temple uh, in, in the Libyan desert. And uh, basically, the thought was if you could find this temple of Jupiter Ammon and get to it, you could maybe find Alexander the Great. And there were rumors of treasures and a, a, some kind of scepter with him. And uh, that was sort of left for, for buried with him in the afterlife kind of thing. And uh, huh. so they, that was the, the objective of, of this expedition, to, to uncover those things. Well, it makes for a lot of good storytelling. And we want to get to know the characters. So who are the Count's companions? Yeah, uh, Jim Whitman is kind of, he's uh, an American archaeologist, and uh, he's very kind of played, uh, very serious, studious, has the knowledge. Um, so it kind of clashes sometimes. The Count is basically a treasure hunter. He's using his fame to get to the funding to go to these places to really uncover treasures, and he wants the riches and the wealth and the fame, whereas as Whit- Whitman is really after knowledge. He sincerely wants to find things out. Uh, Leticia is a Cuban art dealer, uh, basically wants to uh, has helped fund the expedition and hopes to find treasure, and uh, she seems to know more than she should, so something's up with her. Uh, mm. Barbarella is an actress, Italian actress, uh, a, a movie actress. And she also, uh, because the cameraman gets bitten by a scorpion, she replaces him. And uh, that's somewhat thanks to Matteo, her boyfriend, who is an Italian army officer who basically Mussolini wants to put Italy on the map. This is the 20s leading up to the 30s and, and eventually World War II. And of course, you know, he he tries to, really positioned Italy as this great power again. And, and part of it was getting involved in these expeditions, these archaeological uh, digs that might uncover, especially since Egypt was was uh, the area that the, the expedition was in, was, was Italian territory at the time. So he tries to get, uh, you know, involved, uh, sort of insinuated in this expedition. So these are the kinds of people that are traveling with the Count. Yeah. Kind of a sketchy bunch in their own way, individually. What's certainly out for their own, their own yes. moving forward goals, right? And and I'm sure not yep. all dishonorable, but also take note. Rum, a scorpion is what bit him, not a helium monster. Yeah, I know, uh, but you know, yeah. he's thinking the same. <laughs> um, Mike, when we look at Lovecraft's ideas, what ones were incorporated into the story? Since we know that so many of the notes and things like that were were were, were utilized and drifted into this. Yes, and they're steeped in these ideas. These these folks, this is their big hobby, and, and life's work is is uh, this this stuff. So basically, yeah. uh, important impatience and greed, and and going in ill prepared is Lovecraft always has scientists doing that, thinking they're so ready, you know, with all these resources, and then of course you find out that no, they they are completely unprepared for what awaits them, and they find that out the hard way. And the, the theme about things, some things are best left undiscovered. Lovecraft's whole thinking was, and uh, in, in one of the core ideas that, that runs through everything is, if we understood how the reality of the universe really works, we'd go insane. Huh. You know, we couldn't take it. Our minds are no, built right. to take it. We're, we're not the center of the universe. We're an accident. 
just waiting to be cleaned up. And that's that's kind of our ignorance is what protects us, you know, from realizing that. Is that is a terrifying that, thought. Oh, yes. That's that's why Lovecraft has Beware. been Beware. Stay ignorant, Mike. <laughs> yeah, ignorance exactly. is bliss. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay, sorry. Was there more you wanted to say on that? I was just reacting. That's yeah. That's that's basically <laughs> okay. what we're at here. Yeah, with okay. Lovecraft. <laughs> um, so, are many of the things that they encounter on the expedition true to life? Well, a lot of the dangers, yes, they, and they tend to do that in these. These they'll insert all these the, the dangers, like the scorpion sting uh, that happens to people. Dev, desert climate, cold, warm, like like frying at, at the daytime, mm. hot, and then freezing at night. Uh, crocodile-infested waters—that's a reality. Uh, cisterns and, and oasis that sometimes have, you know, plenty of water, and other times, nope, not much water. And then you're stuck with—you've you've reached this oasis, but there's not enough water like you thought there would be, and now you're in trouble. So things like that can happen. Uh, uncertainty about your location—it's very easy to get lost in the desert, especially before GPS and all that. Uh, strange singing sand dunes. This is one of the things, and, and apparently this happens. Wind will blow across these sculpted dunes uh-huh. in, in, the, in the right direction, and they'll emit this strange, eerie sound. And, and apparently this is real. I, I was I was skeptical until I, I looked it up on Wikipedia. And, it, it, yeah, these things actually uh, apparently are huh. there, and uh, that would yeah. be really weird to hear. I, I... I think it'd be really weird because of the emptiness, the quiet, and you know, whenever yeah. we watch stuff on TV, you'd hear that the desert sound was just represented in wind. You say, "How can it be so much wind?" But it's hot. Mm. Well, of course, it can be a hot wind, yeah. but that would hot make wind. a lot of sense. Just like a, a, a deserted city, and like you say, it would be very creepy to be in the city and hear that kind of noise. I remember being on Mount Royal. And listening to the city of Montreal with the traffic and everything, and it didn't sound like traffic. It didn't sound like just wind blow. It had its own unique sound. Um, how suitable is this story for younger listeners? I would say teenagers and up would be fine. Like, there's nothing really too graphic uh, in in terms of you know sexuality or you know over the top violence or anything like that. Uh, curse words, at least none in English. There's some uh, other Italian and other languages, and so there could be cursing in there that I would not have a clue about. But as far as I can tell, uh, it's very clean fun. Uh, but it is you know younger kids would maybe be a bit scared and might have a bit of a harder time following it. So I'd say teens and up. It's it's written for it's campy fun for adults basically is what this is. Mm. Okay. And of course, we haven't even hit the audio yet, uh, other than the singing yeah. dooms, I guess. But how was the sound and music? <laughs> sound was spot on. You know, this is them at the top of their game in terms of that. Uh, you know, they, they, it's about equivalent to an afternoon movie, I'd say. You know, that kind of not not uh, utterly immersive and terrifying, but you know, pretty. The sounds are there. They're in good stereo positions. Uh, you know, they, they've. This is pretty much as good as as uh, the, the, you know this outfit gets with sound, and that's that's pretty decent considering they're. You know, this is not the BBC. This is a group of hobbyists essentially mm-hmm. that have sort of turned this into a life's work kind of thing. Give us a comparison mm-hmm. again, like compared to other dark adventure um, creations yeah. you've had. It's you know it's it's about up there with uh, well for example I mean they're at their top of the game in uh, the mask of uh, uh, Narathalatap the role playing one uh, that was really them at the, the the peak and this is pretty close to that in terms of sound and music uh, yeah it's basically afternoon movie quality kind of stuff I would say okay let's touch on the acting then since we're in that sphere uh, how was it 
It's yeah, it, it was pretty good. You know, no one flubbed any lines. They were all spot on. And uh, they they kind of, you know, the, the actor who played uh, G- uh, Jim Whitman just is about as far from Indiana Jones as you can get. Very studious, very kind of humble, but ready to act. Uh, Barbarella kind of slightly over the top. The Count, uh, Matteo, kind of almost larger than life figures. Uh, you have that sense of the presence of, you know, it almost gives it almost a comic book aspect but not quite like it, it just it skirts the edge of cartoonish but doesn't quite go there so this is really done on the side of everyone was clearly having fun with this this was campy fun uh it, it kind of acted out and and i think they did a, a pretty good job in that in that department mike how much are we dishing out for this and is it worth it so this is about sixteen ninety nine Canadian, uh, and for the digital download. Now the, the there is a CD version with props. I can't see that being worth it for blind people. The props are not going to be accessible, uh, you know. But they do they do say I've I've had contact with them, and they say if people want to know about the props or something, they can write in, and and they will do their best to sort of accommodate, give descriptions, things like that. Um, nice. So if you really reach out, they are willing to sort of try and and make up for that that shortfall. But the props are there for gamers and people that want like to add to a role playing game uh, kind of scenario, they're, they're like an article from an expedition that looks like it's from a newspaper of the time, that sort of thing. Right. So uh, they add those to the CD versions. I'd say if you're downing, if you're downloading it, I'd say it is worth it. But keep in mind, this is campy fun. Sarah was not imp- as impressed as me with this one. She kind of thought that it just lacked depth, kind of lacked seriousness kind of thing. And I, I would have to have sympathy with that. I uh, you know, it, but it's, that's what is, campy is, Mike. Yes. In my exactly. opinion, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, I get it's, it, though. It's, yeah, it's absolute just fun. They've, they've uh, taken some of Lovecraft's musings, essentially, and and kind of t- turned that into something, you know, a 75-minute kind of romp uh, through <laughs> the, that headspace. And uh, I, I think they did a, a reasonably good job with it. But, yeah, okay. it, uh, we've we've got something totally different for next week. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, looking forward oh, yes. to it. Audio drama? Yes. Yeah, we have, it's an audio drama. It's movies that were never made, a collection of the BBC. They, I think they've done these for like audio dramas and they've collected all of these screenplays that were never made into movies. And they've made uh, basically 80 or 90 minute treatments of these, these movies. So I think we're in for something really special. It's about 10 hours worth. You get about seven movies. Wow. Uh, okay. That wow. were never made. So. And this is funny on the heels of our talk with Greg David about pilots and why doesn't someone do what, as an Amazon, Greg said, and put a bunch of these out and say, what do you like? Really cool that, that, that this, these could have been movies. Yeah. Yes, this should be an interesting. I'm going to take a couple of weeks to look at at like you know for for there's seven movies, so I'll do a few, a few for the first week, a few of the next week, and we'll see what we can uh, we can find with this right. uh, this pretty good offering for for this time of the year, probably spot on timing wise. Looking for forward like to this. it, Mike. Thanks for featuring this one today as well, and we'll chat with you then. Absolutely, we'll see you then. Mike will be back, of course, this time next week on Thursdays to cover audio, entertainment, and tech. You can find um, this one that we just covered, The Jupiter of Amun, as well as other Lovecraft-inspired adventures at the HP Lovecraft Historical Society website. Just Google that and you'll find it. After the break, we have Fern Lullum joining us, and we're talking about a 
magical new show that hit the UK in November of 2023. It's hitting Toronto and, well, not Toronto, Canada on TVO in late February. We're going to find out exactly what it's about. She's going to review it for us, I think, after the break on Kelly and Ramia. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.